So when I was growing up, I did a number of different little league sports, something, uh, you know, some of us here might have that, a similar experience with that. Uh, I think I started off in soccer, and as a little kid playing soccer, I did that a few years, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really good at soccer, mostly because as a little kid, I just couldn't run fast. So I was often the little six-year-old at the back of the pack trying to get to the ball, and I never did, so soccer didn't last long for me. Uh, and then I did baseball, and baseball went a lot better. I, I really enjoyed baseball. It's the sport that I did for the longest amount of time. Uh, I think I, I did baseball up until I was 12 or 13 years old when it started getting, uh, well, the, the pitches started coming a whole lot faster, and I thought, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. But, but baseball was good, and I even made the All-Stars a couple years, and, you, you know, that was, it was fun, and uh, it was something I connected with. There was one year when I was about eight years old, and my dad asked me, he said, Thomas, would you ever consider playing basketball? I said, well, Dad, I haven't really played basketball. And, you know, I look back, I think my dad just wanted to buy a basketball hoop for our front yard, uh, maybe for himself or something. But, you know, I said, okay, what, what the heck? Let's play basketball. So he signed me up for the YMCA Basketball League. Eight years old, it was three-on-three half-court basketball. And I uh, did that for a season, which was probably, you know, 10 to 15 games. At the end of the season, we had our last game. We had a, a party, probably at a pizza place, because you do that, right, with the basketball team and a little, little league party. And we went home, and I, and I got to thinking. I got to thinking. You know, when I played soccer, uh, they gave me a little trophy. Now, I wasn't very good at soccer. My team was never very good, so they were little trophies. Uh, and when I played baseball, at the end of every season, they would give us a trophy. And sometimes I was on a really good team, and we would get bigger trophies, right, with a, a taller little stand with a baseball player up on it, and, uh, and it had maybe a number one or a number two if you did really good that season. And so I got to think, well, I didn't, I didn't get a trophy. I played basketball. I didn't get a trophy. So I said, Dad, where's my trophy? And he said, well, son, they're not doing trophies with the basketball league this year. And I said, well, I'm not going to play basketball again. <laughs> so I just opened the doors wide open for you to make fun of me for being a millennial and needing to be coddled and given a trophy at every, at every uh, you know, juncture in life and stuff. So feel free. To, I, I don't mind the jokes. I am a millennial. I didn't tell the story just to, so you could make fun of me, though. Uh, I think I told that story because I think it demonstrates something that's not just true about millennials, uh, or about my childhood, something that's true about each one of us. That is that each one of us, I think, has this deep need to know there is something special and important about us. I think all of us want to know that there is something worth valuing about us as a person. The problem, and this is demonstrated in the story I told, is that we look for that value in all the wrong places. We look for that value by... Can I prove it with my accomplishments, right? If you're a kid in school, can I prove it by getting good grades so my parents can say how proud they are? Can I prove it by achieving things? As adults, we do this also, right? Can I prove my value by landing a bigger job, a higher salary, a more respectable house or neighborhood or car? Can I prove my worth by my achievements? Is there a way that I can somehow know that I am worthwhile, that I actually have something great about me. And the problem is, 
we look for this in all the wrong places. And I think many of us, as a consequence, walk around a lot of the times doubting if there really is something worthwhile about our lives. I think there's a lot of us that walk around, and that we might not consciously think that, but I think it's back there. We need a, a better bearing for determining our worth and our value as people. And we're going to get to that today. This, this, uh, we're going to continue the heart principles today. We're going to talk about this very thing. What gives us worth and value? Uh, how do we know if we're, if we're worth it or not? Before we get into that, uh, will you pray with me? God, we are a people who desperately need you. Whether we admit it or not, there are question, questions constantly going around our mind. There are ways that we doubt ourselves. We need you to come in and give us a more firm foundation. We need you to come in and speak to us the truth about who we are. And we really need you to come in and help us be able to see other people as they really are. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us something from your word today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You, God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We're in the middle of a series on the heart principles, and the scripture we're using for this series comes from Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. Paul writes this, I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. You know, I love this scripture. It's the turning point in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is six chapters. In the first three chapters, Paul spends talking about who they are in Christ. The next three chapters, he talks about, here's what you need to do because of who you are in Christ. And this is the beginning of it. The, Therefore, Paul's saying, because of what you just read in the first three chapters, here's how I want you to live. And what's clear to me about this passage is the call that God has placed in our lives as, as those who are saved by Jesus is a call to live differently than the world. And it's especially a call to live differently than the world in the way that we relate to people, the way that we have human-to-human -human relationships, to love one another, to bear with one another in love. And then what's even more unique, it's especially in how we relate to each other in the church. He talks about there being a unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And what Paul's talking about there is how we as the church are called to model relationships in a way that's different than the world around us. That's what we're trying to do with the Heart Principles sermon series. Because we know that every sphere of our lives right now probably has a, a way for us to get our relationships uh, out, of, out of alignment. There's, there's things nationally in our politics that are so divisive. It's so easy to say, well, are you on my side or are you on the other side? And if you're on the other side, I'm not going to give you the time of day. I actually don't even want to hear what you have to say. That's such a common thought process and scenario that we're going through. And the church is not immune to that, right? Here in the church, uh, globally, uh, in the, well, in, in the American church especially, there are divisions so deep 
that we're having a hard time loving one another, right? We're not sure if we can really love the people uh, or if we really want to love the people that, that think differently than us or believe differently than us. Uh, and, and that's true for us here at Bethany. We still have work to do. And so we're, we're going through this Heart Principles sermon series because we believe God's called us to model a way of relationships that's different than the brokenness that the world shows us. Uh, just a refresher, the Heart Principles. We started this a couple weeks ago. I think the first week, Pastor Wynn preached on Hear and Understand Me. Uh, talking about the need to listen to one another and to really give each other the time of day. That, that, that is maybe a starting place for relationships. Uh, the E, Sherry preached about that last week. Even if you disagree, please don't make me wrong. And I think what Sherry talked about was uh, the fact that it's okay to disagree with one another. Disagreements are going to happen. That's inevitable. Let's not make our disagreements focused around the other person being wrong. Because when you do that, we objectify the other person and we basically say that they're not worth being in a relationship with as long as they are going to disagree with us. A is what we're going to focus on this week and it is acknowledge the greatness within me. Acknowledge the greatness within me. Uh, what, I, what I forgot to say, I meant to, I meant to tell you, these heart principles are based on a training called Partners in Ministry that we have used here at Bethany to train leaders and the heart principles are the things that we bring to relationships as expectations for how someone else would treat us. So knowing these, the reason that this is valuable uh, is that it helps us know how can we treat other people so that when there is a conflict, we don't let the conflict destroy the relationship. That, that's really what the heart principles bring to us and the reasons they're valuable. So A, acknowledge the greatness within me. You know, the more I've looked at this and preparing for this sermon, but digging into the heart principles, I really think that the A of the heart principles, it's the middle letter in, in the word heart, I think in, in many ways it's a foundation for all of the heart principles, that we need to acknowledge the greatness in other people. Uh, this, this isn't just a, uh, like a be really optimistic, and if we, if we say that uh, there's greatness in people enough, maybe they'll be great one day. Uh, this isn't just a hopeful uh, wish, but this is something we believe is true as Christians. And I want to show you why we believe that uh, every person has greatness within them. There's two big things in Scripture that we see that shows that this is true. The first one can be seen at the very beginning in the creation story. In Genesis 1, starting in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. If you read the whole creation account, this, uh, it, this happens on the sixth day. It's the second half of the sixth day. The first half, God created the land animals, and then he creates the humans. And it's so interesting how there's something uniquely different when God creates humans. The uniquely different thing is that God creates humans in his image. And what God is doing in creation, he set up this wonderful, good creation. And when he created humans, he says, Humans, you're going to be the stewards of this creation. You're going to be the caretakers of it. 
But to do that, I'm going to give you some qualities that are almost godlike, that are reflections of things that we see in God himself, so that we as humans could be the ones that watch over God's good created order on God's behalf. And so it's, it's so exciting. I mean, it's neat to see the ways that, that we are made in the image of God. Different theologians break this out in different ways, but, but you could track that. Like John Wesley talks about be, having the natural image, the moral image, and the political image. Um, I heard uh, one, one, maybe a little bit more simple way to explain it, uh, is that God is the creator, and so he's given us the ability to create and use imagination. Uh, we can appreciate beauty, and that ability in us as humans is part of the image of God in us. God is the ultimate ruler and the ultimate governor. And so in humans, he has given this ability to rule creation. And we, we see this in how we lead our families and how we lead organizations or churches or governments and society. We have this ability to order and manage things that's based on God's greater ability to be the overarching ruler. And so it glorifies God that we are able to do something kind of like God can. And then God has, given, God has the ability to love more so than anything else in creation. God can love. He can give of himself and commitment and affection. And God has given us that same ability, different than the rest of creation, to love each other, to love God, to give commitment and affection so all of these things about humankind are ways that we're created in God's image. But what, what that says about us is if we're created in God's image, we have an inherent value and worth because God has put a little piece of himself inside of us in creating us. How awesome is that? The creator of the universe in creating us as humans put a little piece of himself inside of us. We see this reiterated in the Psalms. It's a, it's a really neat psalm. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. What the psalmist is saying here is that God was intentional, cre intentionally creating uh, the psalmist this is true, we know, about every single human being, that God is at work intentionally creating. And because God is creating with putting his image, a little piece of himself in us, there is an inherent value and worth in every person. So that's the first reason that this is true, that there is a greatness within us. It's because God created us in his image. The second reason uh, it's not going to be up on the screen. It's really just, uh, I, didn't, I didn't want to come up with just one verse. I think we could all just acknowledge this. When we needed to be reconnected with God and God said, what is the price? Is the price to give my own son? Is that worth it? And what did God say? God said, yes, that's worth it. It's worth it. Jesus uh, was in agreement with that. He said, yes, it's worth it to give my life uh, for these people that have been created in God's image. So we have this twofold reason that humans are valued, that they have a greatness within them. Because God created us in his image, and he's put a little piece of us in himself. We are valued by God, but also because God chose to save us by giving Jesus in our place. God determined that all humans were worth giving that opportunity to be back in a relationship with him. 
And so, uh, I, I don't know about you, that makes me excited. I mean, it's a helpful reminder for me, too. I don't spend every day thinking about that. So, you know, remembering that every human has an inherent worth, an inherent value, because God says so. That's valuable. I had a professor in seminary who described this in a particular way. And if you are not a fan of acronyms, then I apologize. This is another acronym. It has, it's not a part of the heart principles, but it's something that uh, it just has stuck with me since a class I took a few years ago, and that is COGPOW. Can everyone say COGPOW with me? Ready? One, two, three. COGPOW. I mean, it's, it's kind of fun to say. It stands for Child of God, Person of Worth. What my professor was telling us, uh, he was teaching a class on ministry and leading teams in ministry, and how we had to view every person as cogpow. Every single person is a child of God, person of worth. And so someone is either a child of God or they're, maybe, maybe they're not yet a Christian, they're a potential child of God, they, have no, they, they do not have a lesser worth. All people are people of worth. If we really believe that this is true, my friends, it has to change how we treat people. It means that we can't value people more because of what they accomplish or what they don't accomplish. It means we can't value people more because of people's successes or failures. It means we can't view people as better than because they share our ideology. It means we can't value people more because they agree with us politically. We can't value people less because they don't agree with us politically. It means we don't value people any more or less based on the country they were born in. It means we don't value people more or less because of their ethnicity or racial background or gender. It, it, this is the ultimate leveling, right? And it, it, Let's be honest, though. It's easy to sit up here and talk about that. It's really hard to practice that. It's really hard to practice that. And it's hard to practice that because the world around us teaches us a different way. So seeing people as cogpow, children of God, people of worth, is different than the way of the world. And, and I want to look at what does the way of the world do? Well, how is it different? There's actually, you know, back in Jesus' time, it turns out they were still struggling with this. This is not something new that happened in the 20th or the 21st century. There's this story in Luke that I think shows how the world values people that is not correct, but it's still a struggle. Here's what we see in, in Luke. This is uh, Jesus' disciples uh, talking to Jesus or something he notices about them. A dispute also arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, the greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like one who serves." they were dealing with the same kind of struggles we were, right? They wanted to value each other, or really they wanted to see if they could increase their own value by being positioned ahead of someone or over someone. It's back to that same problem is uh, we all want to be valued, but we don't feel like we can be valued unless it's a comparison thing, right? We want to know that we're more valuable than someone else, which means someone else is less valuable than us. And Jesus won't have it. 
Jesus says, nope, that's not how this game works. And he points them to consider lowering themselves. I think the reason he does that is I think Jesus knew that if we really become secure with our identity in God alone, and we know that we have value because we are children of God, people of worth, we're going to be freed up to be out of the rat race of trying to get ahead or over people. What that's going to do, it's going to free us up so we can, we can freely serve and love people and try to help communicate to others that they are valued. Now, uh, Jesus models that in his whole life. You look at his ministry on earth, and Jesus, every encounter he has, uh, he values people as people. Uh, and, and he does it not because of uh, where they came from or, or who they are or what kind of disease they have or don't have or how religious they are or aren't. He values people as people because he knows they are children of God, people of worth. And so, you know, the heart principles, this acknowledge the greatness within me, the first part of this is we have to remember that there is a greatness within each person. No person is greater or lesser because of anything they've done or where they've come from or what's been going on in their life. There's a greatness within each person. But it doesn't stop there. We can't just know that there is something great about each person. We actually have to acknowledge that and communicate it. And that, that might actually be where it gets even more difficult. So my wife is named Tracy. Some of you know Tracy. Um, I think she's the most wonderful person on earth. Uh, some of you might think she's pretty wonderful. Uh, but we were dating, uh, you know, before we were married, we had been dating a couple years. Uh, and we had gotten to a point in our relationship where we were pretty serious. And so we would, you know, spend, we spent a ton of time together. We, we said, I love you. And there was one night we were, we were hanging out, we were spending time together, and it was time to go home to our, to our own places. And, and so, you know, we were saying goodbye, and I said, all right, I love you. And Tracy normally said, I love you back. And this time she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, why do you love me? And my eyes got about as big as our dinner plates that night. I, I didn't know what to say. Now, I loved Tracy uh, to an incredible extent at that point. And I knew there was a greatness within her that I, that I was attracted to. But my friends, I apparently had not done a very good job of sharing that. And so, you know, Tr Tracy is one to always bring it up, uh, which I, I love so much because it makes me a better person and it greatly helps our relationship. Uh, even though questions like that are difficult at first, what I, what I realized is that I had a lot of work to do in communicating my love to Tracy more than just saying, I love you, and spending time with her. I actually had to call out specific things that I loved about her. Her authenticity of her faith. The way that, uh, that she uh, treated people like people. The way that she encouraged me and supported me. Uh, the ways that, you know, so I, I, had to, I had to actually get specific. And in the moment, oh my gosh, that was like, I didn't know how to do that. But what I learned is that we can't just think someone's great. We actually have to tell them. People need to be reminded. They need to be told this. Otherwise, we start to believe that yeah, maybe we're not. And so I think there's, there's a number of ways that we can tell people that they're great. Um, there's a number of ways we can do this. One of them, which you know, my wife is particularly fond of, so I've had to work on this, uh, is words of affirmation. Telling someone why you think they're great. What do you see in them that is just this unique attribute? 
That's one of the opportunities we have to build people up, is to compliment people, to give people uh, some kind of affirmation. Mark Twain found this quote, and I love it. He says, at one point he wrote this, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Anyone ever feel that way when someone said something about you that just, they, they affirmed you, they, they, something you did, they pointed out the good in you, or, and you just thought, oh man, you know, like, I got problems in this part of life and this problems in life, and, but I don't even care. Like, I just feel so built up right now and loved and cared for. I don't know about two months uh, with no food or anything else, but, but I do think many of us crave to be told that we're worth it and I think Mark Twain was on to something. So I think words is one of the ways we can acknowledge the greatness in each other by telling people, by pointing those things out. I think another way we can acknowledge the greatness in one another is by giving each other attention by showing that shows that a person is worthwhile to listen to. It's kind of going back to that first heart principle, right? Uh, I'm reminded of this, you know, my daughter is six years old and um, when she gets excited about something and wants to tell me about it, it's not always at a really convenient time for me, right? But I have a choice to make as a, as a father. I can, I can take the time to show her the dignity, to show her that I believe there's a greatness in her, and I can listen to her, and then my hope is that builds her up, her, her sense of self-confidence, that maybe because of that she'll know that she is a child of God and she's worthwhile, but I, you know, I have to admit, there's times when my response is more like, oh, one second, well, hang on, I just don't have time right now. What, what, does that, what does that communicate to my daughter? Right? I'm not trying to communicate that she's not worth it, but it's easy to get that mixed up, right? So I think for all of us, there's people that, that we need to give time to, and the way we give time to them will either tell us do we see a greatness in them? Or does that person feel like they're not worth it? I think uh, one of the ways we uh, acknowledge the greatness in people is by sticking with people. I think Ephesians, that scripture said, bearing with each other uh, in, our, in their burdens. Uh, and, you know, what I've noticed over the years when someone uh, comes to me with a criticism or when I start to disagree with someone or uh, I've noticed my tendency sometimes is to want to distance myself because... It feels safer, right? What God's led me to, though, is to realize that it's actually getting closer is going to be what, what is needed in that relationship because it's hard to hate people when you get close to them, when you get to know them as a person, right? I think Sherry said that uh, in last week's sermon, uh, or if she didn't, I heard it somewhere else. But that's one of those things. That's how, one of the ways we acknowledge greatness in each other is we, we draw close to each other in conflict. We don't shut people out. So the challenge for all of us, you know, do we know that every person has a greatness in them? And then are we willing to go out of our way to show them that? And if we are, we have this opportunity to build people up, to live into what it means to be a child of God, to live into what it looks like to have the image of God in us so that we can be people that walk around reflecting God to the world in a really good way. And we can be a part of that by practicing this heart principle, acknowledging the greatness within, within us. But I think where it starts is, do we first acknowledge that there is a greatness in us? Are we first secure knowing that I don't have to prove my worth because of my accomplishments, that I can just rest secure that I am a child of God? 
I think for all of us, the first step to treating others with that kind of civility and humanity is to do it to ourselves first. So who is it in your life that God has placed that he is inviting you to acknowledge the greatness within them, to remind them that they are a child of God, a person of worth? How do you need to press into God yourself so you remember who you are, so that God can transform you from the inside out and how you relate to others? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have created each one of us intentionally special, unique, and valued before you. Pray, God, that you would let us rest in our identity as children of God, people of worth. Let us not need to prove ourselves to those around us or to you. Remind us by your Holy Spirit that you love us just how we are. And God, I pray that you would show us how we can be showing this to others, how we can be treating others with a kind of love and compassion, treating people as people and acknowledging the image of God in people, acknowledging what God has made special about different people in our lives. We especially pray, God, that here in the church, you would help us to be a people that handle conflict differently. And instead of demonizing those that we disagree with, that we would draw close to them and seek to find ways to point out the image of God in them and the value that they have. Come and help us, God. Lead us by your Holy Spirit. Move us out into the world so we can demonstrate this kind of love, this Christ-like way of living to all who come across our path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.